Church family, good to see you all. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, it's going to be by the grace of God if I make it to this sermon without batting one of these balls in your direction. I'm just going to be honest right now. Like, this is going to test every ounce of patience I have. I mean, oh yeah, we're done. Not going to happen. Um, so 1 Corinthians 15, excited about Skills Jam tonight. Uh, I hope you guys do be praying for tonight. I cannot tell you how many people I've met and their story begins of uh, my salvation story starts when I got saved at Falls, or Falls Creek or Vacation Bible School. Um, so many people's story goes back to when they were kids and led to Christ. Uh, this week we're going to have more kids hopefully added to that. And so be praying that God gives us opportunities to share the truth, share the gospel with them. Mine is much similar that way and so uh, be praying for that. Uh, and be praying that I get through this sermon. Again, this is dangerous. Um, anyways, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, if you are a guest today, we have been working through 1 Corinthians. We've been talking about different themes as we go through this book. We are on the home stretch. We have this week and next week and we're done. And hopefully it's a sadness, not a sigh of relief in your voice right there. Hopefully it's been a good series for you. We're through the tough stuff, I feel like, which no one's left that I know of in that. So thank you for that, for sticking it through with some of the tough texts that we've gone through. Uh, hopefully it's been challenging to you. Uh, we're picking up today actually in talking about the resurrection of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We actually taught the first part of this over Easter. I chose to do it, that one section out of order because I felt like it fit with the Easter message well. And so we're going to be uh, in verse 35 through 58 is what we'll be looking at today. So um, just the other day, uh, Emily and my oldest daughter, Addie, were at Cross Timbers. They were at camp uh, alone. And so it was Daddy Hallie time. Me and my youngest daughter just had the week to ourselves. And I try to make it the best because those are not a lot of experiences I get. And so for us, nearly every night, it, it turned into us watching some movie or something together. And we were watching a movie called Coco, which is on Disney and stuff. And it's about afterlife and stuff. It's this, this uh, uh, animation movie, if you will. And Hallie asked me while we were watching, she said, Dad, she goes, when we're in heaven, will, will we look like that? Like, well, how old will I be when I'm in heaven? Like, will, will, will you guys be able to understand what I look like? Will we recognize each other? And she began to ask me all these questions. And I did what any smart, wise father in the time said. Said, listen, your mom's going to be home in three days. Ask her when she gets home, do you want some candy? Uh, distract and divert the attention. <laughs> but what's funny is the question she asks is a question that many of us wrestle with ourselves, right? What's it going to look like when we get to heaven? What are we going to look like? Like, what will we look like? What age will I look like in heaven? We have an age that we probably wish we would look like and others that we don't, right? Uh, will I have a beard or a goatee? Because since I've been here, I've had both. So which is it? Just the patch here or the whole thing going? Will it be a touch of gray as there now or will it be fully gray as I expect to come in a theater near you? What, what's going to happen? I, I don't know. Will I finally have a six-pack in heaven because it just is not working here on earth? Uh, Maybe, I don't know. Will we recognize each other in heaven? Will my wife be taller than she is now? Because I'm, I'm telling you now, being a foot different in height is kind of annoying. Uh, and so praying for some of that. Are, are the cliche things Christians say actually true all the time? That, that we'll be perfect, that we'll be no more aching, no more hurting. People who have been wheelchairs for life, hey, you, you will walk again. All that, are, are those things actually true? Are those just Christian things we throw out to make people feel good? More, more importantly, here's this, is does our earthly body really, really even matter? 
I mean, it's just important that I diet, take care of myself. Does what I do here really even matter with my earthly body? These, these are all questions that Paul actually addresses in what we're going to look at today and unpack some. What, what will it look like on the other side? So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're going to look at 35 through 58. It's a large text, and hopefully we unpack it well. So uh, follow along with me if you like. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Uh, if you're curious what translation uh, I'm, I'm reading from, it says this. It says, but some will ask, how are the dead raised? Like, what kind of body will they have when they come? Now, now just real quick, right before he talks about the importance of the resurrection, more or less he talks about leading up to this. Listen, if the resurrection didn't happen, the gospel doesn't matter. The resurrection is what makes the gospel true. The fact that Jesus rose from the dead is a pivotal part of our story. And someday he's going to raise us too. We're going to be raised to walk with God through the resurrection, what Jesus did. So the natural question they come to is, well, how are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? He says, you fool. (laughs) Like what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed, like perhaps a wheat or another grain. But God gives it a body as he wants and each to each of the seeds as its own body. Like not all the flesh is the same flesh. There's one flesh for humans, and another for animals, and another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies is different from that of the earthly ones. There's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another in splendor. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. Sown in corruption, raised in incorruption. Sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. Like if there's a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. So it's written, the first man, Adam, came, became a living being, and the last Adam became a living, life-giving spirit. However, the spirit is not first, but the natural, then the spiritual. The first man was from earth and a man of dust, but the second man is from heaven. Like the man of dust, so are those who are of the dust. Like the man of heaven, so are those who are of heaven. And just as we have been born the image of God, of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. What I'm saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit incorruption. Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, incorruptible, and will be changed. For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. When this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, then then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, Where death is your victory? Where death is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be steadfast and movable, always excelling in the Lord's work, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Uh, None of you got lost there, right? Like that was pretty simple, straightforward. I I read it and go, "Uh, what, what are you talking about here, Paul? Um, and I'll just say, in case you're wondering, is Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote the book of Corinth, difficult to follow? Yes. <laughs> yes. 100% yes. As a matter of fact, Peter says it. Uh, Peter, who started the church, one of the disciples of Jesus, and First Peter talks about Paul is a very difficult guy to follow. 
Paul was very well educated. He grew up in the Jewish faith. He was one of the leading in his class. And when Christ saved him and his life got drastically changed, he took that knowledge and understood it and applied it to the Christian faith, saying that this has all been fulfilled. And so he's speaking from a very deep academic level, and so you've got to unpack what he's saying. And he's talking to the church, saying, well, what's going to happen to us? Because there's mass confusion. Will I just be some floating blob or some, will, it, will I look like this? What, what, what's going on? And he begins to unpack for him. Ultimately, the big idea is this that he will say, is, is this, that the saved will receive bodies made for heaven. I'm excited about this one. A lot of the other topics we've talked about have been very difficult topics but necessary for us to address. Talking about heaven is fun. It's talking about the other side, what we look for. Let me just make clear real quick. We don't get saved just to go to heaven. We get saved to be in relationship with a loving God. We, we get saved from our sins and stuff. Heaven is just where God's at and it's getting to experience him in the fullness. And so don't get so caught up in the destination that you mean the means of what we're doing here in the first place. But Paul wants us to understand. And ultimately he answers three questions about heaven in this text that I want to share with you. And the three questions are this. What, what happens to our bodies? The second question he'll answer is this. Is, well, what will be different? When I get to heaven, what's really different in my body compared to now and then? And the most important for most of you in this room, no matter what age you are, is this. What does this mean for me now? Like, why is this important right now to me? Is this just great information? Does this mean anything? And he addresses all of those. So let's unpack the first question he answers, which comes in verse 35 through 41. What happens to our body? When I go to heaven and I'm standing before God, when I'm with him, what happens to our body? And he starts by answering the very questions they ask. You can tell. He says this, someone will ask. In other words, I know some of you have been asking this question. And they've had debates where they have different philosophical and, and, and pagan other worldly influences are infiltrating the church. Which makes sense for what he says now. Because he says, how are the dead raised? Like what kind of body will they have when, when they come? He goes, you fool. Like, that's not the right way to come out of right now. And someone comes, hey, Eric, what will it look like when we get to heaven? I mean, imagine if I told my daughter, you're so dumb. <laughs> like, seriously, that's a dumb question. I mean, that's ultimately kind of what he's saying. Ultimately, one, because of where they're coming from, it's like you're letting these other influences influence you. But even more so, he goes into talking about, like, listen, he, he says, you can just look around the world and see an example of what's going to be. See, ultimately he starts in verse 36 to 37 talking about what will happen to our body is this. What we see now is not what it will be. What, what you see right now is not what it will be. It, we will be different. He says that in verse 36 and 37. He says, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but what? Only a seed, a, a deposit of what will come. Paul, Paul uses a seed analogy to, to, to help him understand. He's like, you should be able to know this just by looking at nature and what we see going on. He says, look at a seed and what happens with it. Think about this. How, how does a seed work? You plant it in the ground and a plant grows up. But more specifically, I love what John MacArthur says. He says, when a seed is planted in the ground, it dies. Actually decomposing as a seed. And it must cease to exist in its original form as a seed before it can come to life in its final form as a plant. And Paul's saying the same thing about us. Like, listen, when us, our first must be what? We have to die. At some point, we will die, we'll be buried, we'll, we'll, we'll decompose, all this sort of stuff. The death of our fleshly body will come. And what comes? Verse 37, a new plant will come from the seed. You'll see something different. 
which draws the natural question is, well, does this mean the old self will be unrecognizable? Will I be able to tell what I look like? Will you be able to understand and know who I am? I love what someone talked about on the, uh, recognizing our old self. Listen to what they said. It said, no one can envision what the seed will become by looking at it. But from the other side, one who looks at the plant can see the seed. And we, when we are raised, there will be no doubt be a connection to our present day body. In other words, the present matters to the future. I know you're visual people, and so I am, so, so am I. So, so just give me, follow with me here. Uh, put this first seed up on the screen. Well, what plant does this belong to? Can anybody tell by looking at the seed? If you're a farmer, I'm impressed right now. Are you plant seeds? I don't know. I don't have a green thumb. I kill everything on plant. So you, you know what this is? Well, let's look at next. It's a strawberry. It's a strawberry. Now, now, now looking at it, you can see the seed a little bit right there, can't you? But looking at the seed itself, you can't tell what the strawberry is going to be. Look at the next one. What plant is this? Come on, some of y'all might should know this one, I feel like. Huh? Bell pepper? Let's see what it is. A tomato. That's one different bell pepper right there. A tomato. Listen, here's the thing. Looking at the seed, you can't tell what it's going to be. You can't envision a tomato. But when the tomato comes ripe and full, guess what? You can see aspects of what it was before. You can see the seed in it. It's a different, fuller creation. There is a difference about it. It is completely different. But yet looking back, you can see. Do another one. I'm, I'm, I'll give some easy layups right here. Come on. Uh, there, you guys have seen it. How do you, is it because you saw a seed? No, because at some point you opened up a watermelon and either tried to swallow it, and your parents told you if you did, that watermelon would grow in your belly, right? Everyone was fed that lie. Or you try spitting it and see how far you can shoot that thing, right? Ultimately, you didn't know from looking at the seed, you knew from looking at the watermelon what it was, right? Do we have one more? Is that all of them? I can't remember. Thank you. I thought I had a whole slew, but I said, I got to cut back these illustrations or we'll never get done. L listen. We can't tell from this side, what will I look like? I, to be honest, he doesn't paint a perfect picture, an exact thing. But we will be different. And, and looking back, I can't tell you how it is or what it is, but there will be something about my old self that will be identifiable. You'll be able to see it. He uses a seed. say, just look at nature and you should be able to tell what's going on. But not only that, he says in verse 38 through 9, he says, our bodies will be both different and unique he says, but God gives what? A body as he wants. And listen to what he says, to each of the seed its own body. In other words, when we get to heaven, we will be different. It will reflect the splendor of heaven. There will be something about our body that will showcase that we're in heaven and we belong here. It will be unique. Unlike what you might have thought, we're not going to get all and be glowing the same glow. There will be unique things about each of us to us. And he says, just look at nature. Look at all the animals and the uniqueness of what it is. Look at the stars and the skies. There's uniqueness to it. I love, he talks about in verse 41, he says this. He says, there's a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another in its splendor. John MacArthur said this, said, like flowers, stars have their own colors. Like in the December sky, you will see Aldebaran as a pale rose. Rigel is a bluish white and Betelgeuse an orange to topaz yellow. When you look at the skies, there is a splendor, and each splendor of the stars has a different glow, a different color, and uniqueness. Listen, when we get to heaven, we will not be just like a glob of people unrecognized. There will be uniqueness and difference about us that reflects the splendor of God. As a matter of fact, in verse 40 through 41, that's more specifically what he says. Our bodies will reflect the splendor of heaven. That's what he says. 
He says our heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, splendor will what? But the splendor of heavenly bodies will be different from the earthly ones. Your body will look like the environment it's in. And what's cool about this is when you read scripture, anytime someone has a heavenly experience on earth, you see it reflected in their personal demeanor and looks. Think of Exodus chapter 33, verse 18 through 23, where Moses goes on Mount Sinai and he says, God, I just want to see you. Can I, can I just lay eyes on you and just see you? And God's like, man, you can't handle my splendor. Go hide behind that rock, cover yourself, and when I walk away, you can look at my back of my heels as I walk away. And that's exactly what happens. He looks, and when God removes, it says this, Moses was literally radiating. He was glowing to the point that when he came back down, we see in Exodus chapter 34, verse 29 to 35, it says this, as Moses descended Mount Sinai, he did not realize that his skin of his face shone as a result of speaking with the Lord. This is when Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone. What did it say? They were afraid to come near him. There was something otherness about him, like, dude, something's off. You're glowing like he came out of a radioactive factory, something right here, right now. It says, then Moses, every time he'd go visit with the Lord, said he would put a veil on his face again until he went to speak with the Lord because people were terrified by how much he glowed. Even in the New Testament, when Jesus had the transfiguration where he sees God and he sees Moses, all sorts of stuff, it says this. It says, he was transfigured in front of them and his face shone like what? The sun. That there was something about his body that suddenly reflected the other side. You, you will begin to look like God will give you a body that reflects the environment you're going to be living in. I, I see this even today in some different ways. I used to, uh, my parents were divorced, and so every year I'd go see my dad in West Texas twice a year. Christmas time and summer. In summer I'd go down there and I'd often work. I'd go spraying mesquite trees or working out in the cotton fields with them and stuff like that. And I always wear cut-off T-shirts because, you know, you want to get the guns all nice and tan, you know what I mean? And, and I would go and I'd leave my girlfriend, who's now my wife, thank you very much, and I would go and I would come back a much different-looking person, completely dark-complected, and she liked the way it looked, and I did too. But here's the thing, listen, being in Texas, being in that environment, it affected the way I looked. And we are standing in God's presence, and we're having God gives us bodies that will reflect the splendor of heaven. That there'll be something different There'll be something unique about us. That, that's what will happen to our bodies. Now, when we get to the next question, so well, what, what will be different about it? Obviously, we'll glow, we'll splendor and stuff like that, all this sort of stuff. But what, what will be different? Well, he says in verse 42 through, 42 through 57, he talks about it. He talks about first and foremost that our bodies will not reflect a fallen world. That would be a huge difference. Whether you realize it or not, everything in this world is affected by the fall of man and sin. Everything. The truth is this, you need to understand, sin affects everything. Everything. This is why sin is such a big deal. And it's never personal, as much as you might try to convince yourself. Any of you have been around someone that has fallen and seen the waves of effect it's had on others. Adam and Eve's decision not just affected them and their future generation, it affected the entire earth. Everything was affected. And when God takes us back to heaven, we go to be with him, listen, we will take off every shred of evidence of a fallen world because Christ has redeemed every bit of that. As a matter of fact, verse 42 through 44, he tells us a little bit of that. He said, Paul, he tells what the differences are. Look what he says. He says, so it is with the resurrection of the dead, sown in corruption, 
yet raised in incorruption. My corrupted body will go down and be buried, but when I'm raised, it'll be raised in incorruption. That word corrupted means death, decay, aging. Listen, when you get to heaven, there'll be no more aging. These gray hairs will be gone, thank the Lord, right? Even though my wife said touch of gray looks good, I don't like it. It'll be gone. These wrinkles from growth, the decay of life, listen, that will not exist because those are the effects of a fallen world. It will be raised in incorruption. He says, sown in dishonor, but raised in glory. This body, the things I do that cause disgrace, shame, guilt, listen, that there will be no more. I'll stand before God and there will be no shame in my body. There will be no shame in what I do. There will be no guilt. There will be no insufficiencies in it. That will be removed when I'm standing before God. I love, he continues on, he says what? Sown in what? Weakness, but raised in power. What does that mean? Weakness means incapacity. It means limitations. It means I have limitations on this earth that when I get to stand before God, I will not have. Does that mean I'm Superman and I can leap tall bounds and I will be able to do all sorts of stuff? I don't think that's what he's getting at. I hate to ruin your Marvel dreams. That's not what he's talking about. Sorry, that's DC for you guys who get upset. Reality is this. I love someone said It said, we are weak in regard to physical strength and can be physically harmed or subject to disease. But our heavenly bodies will have immeasurable power so that anything, listen, our heavenly spirit wants to do, it will be accomplished. There will not be, I I can't do this. Listen, you will be able to do everything you need to do in heaven without limitations. Sown in weakness, raised in power. And I love the last one, what did he say? Sown a natural body, but what? Raised a spiritual body. That word natural means physical, ordinary, fleshly. It does not mean that we get to heaven that I'm going to be some spiritual being, metaphorical, whatever sort of thing. Like I will still have material to who I am, but it will be sown differently. In other words, I'll have no more struggles and temptations. I won't be dealing with the struggles of the flesh. Those things will be gone. And I'll be full. I'll be full. Our, our bodies will not reflect the fallen world. No, he says in verse 45 through 50, instead what? Our bodies will reflect our inheritance. They'll reflect our inheritance. Look what he says. He says, so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being, but the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. Anytime you see the term last Adam, it's referring to Jesus. The first Adam came, was given opportunity, and he failed miserably. But the last Adam, Jesus, who came to redeem and fix what was lost, came and did it. The first Adam sowed corruption, but Jesus came to redeem into incorruption. And I'll receive my inheritance. And right now, we receive the inheritance we have. Like when I stand before God, I will receive the inheritance he has for me. Whether you like it or not, you realize, listen, we all have an inheritance from the first Adam. All of us. There are traits that we carry on. We have his qualities. My, my biological father, I only got to see him so much. Listen, there's a lot of things that I should not be like him, but it's amazing when I get in, around him, the mannerisms that we share. I did not grow up around him. How we have some of the sense of humor, some of the mannerisms we have, because I inherited those things from him. They naturally come into who I am. And just like that, you're the same way from the first time. You've inherited qualities, traits that you might not like, but whether you like it or not, you've inherited it because you came from that. Every single one of us. And in that, what do we inherit? Death that came through that as well. It all came from him. We all have that inheritance. 
But with the last Adam, when Jesus comes, listen, what Jesus did is different. It's different. It's different. He comes and he sows these things. He gives us all these things as he's talking about. But here's the truth you have to understand at verse 50 what he says. Not everyone will inherit from the second Adam. Everyone has inherited from the first one, but not everyone will from the second. Look, look what he says. What am I saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor can corruption inherit corruption. There is nothing on this earth that you can do to inherit what's coming on the other side. You can't do it. You can't do it. It all comes from Jesus as a matter of fact, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 10, which we covered earlier, it says this, it has on the screen, it says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? It, it won't happen. You don't have an inheritance there. The unrighteous will not get it. Don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, males who have sex with males, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. No one who continues or has sin will inherit the kingdom of God. You cannot do it. You cannot do it. So, so how, who will receive this inheritance? Well, don't miss the next part of that verse. He says, and so some of you used to be like this. Some of you, this was your story. This was your inheritance. But, but you have a new inheritance. He says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. Let me say it plain and simple. But do not miss what I say right here. Good people do not receive an inheritance. Bad people do not receive an inheritance. Good works does not receive an inheritance. Saved people receive an inheritance. There is not a good person in this room, including myself, especially myself, and I need no amens with that, because scripture says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And no amount of my good works, no amount of my coming to church, trying to be the best I can, pray enough, give enough, serve enough, is ever going to get me to heaven. It will never do it because all my works fall pale in comparison to the sin I've created and done. But I receive an inheritance through what Jesus has done. The saved receive an inheritance. So the question comes to this, listen, do you know that you are saved? Do, do you know you have an inheritance coming? Because whether you like it or not, you do have the first inheritance. But you're not promised a second inheritance unless you've been saved. And it scares me how many people I talk to live their life on an assumption of salvation rather than an assurance of salvation. There's a big difference. And so verse 51 through 56, he talks about this. He says, every saved person will experience this change. If you are saved, you will experience this change. Matter of fact, in verse 57, he says, it says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through what? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like even those who are still alive, when Jesus comes back, will experience this change. He's like, why? Because the incorruptible of the corruptible cannot inherit the incorruptible. And so people who experience rapture your life, listen, they will be changed. They will take them. Everyone will be changed. First the dead will rise and the rapture will come. You might say, well, why does everyone have to change? Why, why is this important that everyone has to change? I think my body's not bad. Why is it a big deal? Well, he says in verse 53 through 56, he says, For this corruptible body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. 
He says, when this corruptible body is clothed in incorruptibility and the mortal body is clothed in immortality, then the saying that is written will take place. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory, where, oh, death is your sting. You, you have no more power over me, my life, or my physical body because it's all been defeated. It's done. It's done. J- Jesus came to destroy sin and then save those affected by it. Every aspect of your being. But as we saw in verse 57, only those who believe in Jesus alone saves. That's it. Do, do you know that you're saved? Do you know which side you're standing on? I was just recently in New Orleans for the SBC conference and stuff. When I was there, I had, uh, for some reason, I booked a flight late the next day. I don't know why. So I was stuck in New Orleans all day. Sorry, I don't like New Orleans, but I was stuck there. And they have a World War II museum. I'm fascinated by World War II. And so I went to visit the World War II museum walking around. And the whole thing is laid out between two different things pretty much you have. The two different sides. You have the allies and the Axis powers. The good guys and the bad guys is almost as laid out. Everyone fell on one of two sides. And in the end, one loses and one wins. It all happens. And at the, as the battle went on, it seemed like the Axis powers over and over were going to win. We know at the end when they had the, the bombing Hiroshima, like that ended the war. It was done. There will come a day, listen, when it will be done. And you will be standing on one side or another of history. And I ask again, listen, do you know what side you're standing on? So, so he concludes with this, well, what, what does this mean for me now? Now I'm looking forward to heaven. I'm looking forward to be clothed with whatever God has for me to reflect something that I can't even imagine. And aspects of my old being will still be visible in a way that glorifies God. But what does this mean for me now? He ends with this in verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, therefore means what? Because of everything I've said, now this. Therefore, if this is all true, therefore, follow what I'm saying here. He says this. My dear brothers and sisters, be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know what? That your labor in the Lord is not in vain. What does he say in verse 58, the first part? He says what? Be steadfast and immovable. In other words, have confidence in your salvation. Stand with boldness in who you are. Listen, ensure that you're saved. Don't base eternity on an assumption. Don't do it. Do do you know where you stand with God? Not saying you don't have doubts. Listen, every person under the face of the earth, I myself still at times struggle with doubts, but when I come and wrestle through the truth of the gospel, I come back and say, you know what? No, I am saved because this is the truth of the word the word says. But do you know? Are you confident you are saved? You know how you can tell confidence? It's displayed in action. It's displayed in action. I have confidence those tiny little life jackets they give you on a cruise ship is going to hold me up. I'll tell you what, I don't want to test that thing out. I'm not going to jump in the water and find out. Confidence is I'm going to jump in the water and show, listen, this thing can hold me. I have confidence. Listen, does your salvation look like that? That you walk every day not caring what other people think? You're living as though eternity's coming. I have confidence. The second and last thing he says this, what? He says, always excelling in the Lord's work. What is he saying? He's saying this, be diligent in your mission work. If you know this truth, that people are going to be standing on one or the other side of eternity, listen, we have work to do. If you believe it's true, why wouldn't you tell others? 
why wouldn't you take the time to tell someone? I'll never forget hearing an atheist talk about someone witnessing to him. Uh, he's a pen and teller of the act of stuff he talks about. And it's so amazing to hear him talk about. He says, listen, I think Christians are fools. I, I think it's absolutely ludicrous what they believe. The whole concept of God is ludicrous to me. But he said, one after one of my shows, a Christian came and, and proselytized or evangelized, tried telling me about this God. And he says, listen, I don't agree with anything he has to say. And he began to tear up. He says, but that was a good man. He said, here's the thing, if you believe without a shadow of doubt that is true, how much do you have to hate someone not to tell them? Like if a Mack truck was coming at you, about to run you over, and I knew death was coming, there was no way around it, how much would I have to hate you not to shove you out of the way to save your life? He's like, listen, we may have philosophical and deep religious differences, but that was a good man because he cared enough for me to tell me what he thought was truth. And if we stand on the basis that we believe Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven, how much do we have to hate the people around us not to tell them the truth at whatever cost? Because the truth of what he's saying is this, and, and don't miss the details in the big idea. The saved will receive bodies made for heaven. I don't want to do a message on what people in hell get. And so, so my question is for you is this, listen. Do you know what will happen to you after you die? Maybe you got saved at a young age and you have struggled your entire life of uncertainty. That Listen, walk out of this room today with confidence, knowing what it is. We're going to have leaders available here in a minute. Come talk to them. If you're one like, I just always assumed I was a Christian. Listen, you, do you know? Walk out of here with confidence. My second question is this, and I go to the last two points he has this. Are you taking your work seriously with others? If we truly believe this is the truth, this is salvation, this is life-giving, are you taking your mission work seriously? I looked up, did you know that they, they estimate 55.3 million people die every year? 55.3 million people. If you want to break that down, that comes to 151,600 people die each day. 6,316 people have died just since we've started this service. That, that means, listen, every 106, or every minute, 106 people die. To let that sink in, would you start that timer and just watch? Roughly every second, that means almost two people gone. six people. Last time I checked, the death rate is one to one. Everyone will die at some point. And they will either die with hope and truth and assurance of what's going to happen to them and what they can experience now, or they'll die lost on the other side of eternity. And listen, we, we can't control their responses. But I pray we never stand on the other side of eternity and, and, not, and never have to hear people go, I never knew. 
I, w- I wish someone would have told me. Every second, that's someone in your life that you know that could be them, another person. I'm standing here today because when I was eight years old, someone in a Sunday school class decided to share the gospel with me. My life was drastically changed. You're here today because someone loves you enough to share. Listen, we have to take mission work seriously. And and that's why this is such a big deal. This is why this is such a big deal. Even more so, listen, what you do at home right now when you go and see your neighbors and the people around you who slept in today because church is not anything to them is such a big deal. What will you do? So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Just let the Lord speak to you. Uh, If the Lord's convicting you, don't let that conviction sink on deaf ears. Do something about it. We're going to have leaders available. I'll be up here. We have Pete, one of our elders, will be up here. Corey and Amber will be in the back. JD, one of our elders, will be up here as well. Bradley Cox, one of our elders, will be back there as well. If you need someone to pray with you or just to encourage you or to point you to truth, Listen, don't leave here today without doing something. Or maybe someone was laid on your heart as that timer was going down. And the first step of accountability is just telling someone. And you need to tell someone next to you or one of these people here and say, hey, listen, I need to talk to so-and-so in my life because I haven't shown them enough love. You do that. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for God to continue to stir and you respond. Father God, I love you. I pray that your word came through. I pray people would come to understand who you are. God, stir, stir, stir in the lives today. I, I just feel like you're doing that. There's, I know there's probably some of the sound of my voice right now who don't know. They, they have doubts. God, God, please let them leave with confidence today. Or today they realize, man, they've been, they've been faking it for a long time, but they've never come to put their tr- hope and trust in you, God. I pray you would give them courage to get up. Nothing to be embarrassed about. Give them courage to get up. God, I pray we take our mission work seriously. I pray that we'd see people saved. You've given us the truth. You've given us the gospel. Shame for us for wasting it. Convict us to action, God. I love you so much, and I thank you for the truth of the other side of heaven, what we get to look forward to. But, God, we have work to do today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask if you, you stand. Or if you need to stay seated because you need to just spend some time with the Lord, you do that. But if, if you feel comfortable standing, we're going to worship. We're going to be available. If you need someone to pray with you just to help walk you through salvation because you're uncertain, listen, don't waste another minute. Get up and come to them right now and find them and talk to us. But allow the Lord to stir. Let's worship together.